February 9th, 2001. This was a letter in response to my brother and his wife who were asking for advice about how to raise their girls. And it's called Raising Girls. Dear Chuck and Trendy, this is my take on raising girls. I obviously don't know it all or Jamie would be in church. More about that at the end. All or most of these things you are already doing. Number one, build the child's self-esteem. How a child feels about herself and thus how she will interact with others is largely dependent on how she feels about herself. Express your beliefs in her virtues and her abilities and she will see herself in the mirror that you create. You and I were so far apart in age that I didn't see much of how you were raised, but I know that mom always told me that I was capable of doing anything and I believed it. Dad and I didn't talk much, but when he did say something to me, it was usually positive or at the very least seen as constructive. I felt like my parents and grandparents believed in me and that they were the smartest people I knew, so I thought they couldn't be wrong. Number two, encourage primary greatness. There are two kinds of greatness. Primary greatness, which comes from a principle-centered character, and secondary greatness, which is the greatness the world acknowledges. Primary greatness comes from Bible principles that you are teaching the girls. The challenge is not to let secondary greatness looks, brains, talent, popularity, etc. be relied on in place of primary greatness. Secondary greatness is the result of primary greatness and cannot replace it. You both know all you need to know about teaching God's principles. Number three, develop their interests. When you detect a real talent in your girls, encourage them to develop it and give them a lot of positive feedback along the way. Mama Jackie always thought I could be a movie star, and she encouraged poise and a flamboyant style. She would make a huge fuss over me being able to walk with books on my head, and when I wasn't under them, she made sure my nose was in them. She encouraged me to read books about developing social skills like how to win friends and influence people, psycho-cybernetics, the richest man in Babylon, think and grow rich, the power of positive thinking, at first, at age eight or nine, I complained that the books were too hard, but she kept assuring me that I had the ability to read and learn at that level, and I believed her, and I did. My ability to guide wildlife on Easy Street and be in the public eye is a result of all of that early positive reinforcement. Number four, create an enjoyable family life. Try to make your home more fun, more relaxing, and more satisfying than anything else your daughters may be influenced by. This is not a call for laziness. When I look back on my childhood, the best things I remember were all of us working together in the lawn care business. There was a sense of camaraderie in working together that exceeded anything I was involved in outside of our family. I remember mom always had some kind of craft project going, and in retrospect, I think she did it to stimulate our creativity. I don't see her doing those things now for her own pleasure. Coming home was always a good thing. We never had to worry about what kind of mood our parents would be in or had any reason to dread. We were expected to clean our rooms, although I was awful at it, and to take care of the animals and the yard, but we were encouraged to do so rather than forced. We pitched in because we didn't want to let the team down. Five, plan things together. I don't remember us doing this as a family, but Jamie and I do. 
and is a great source of excitement. We get together at least once a week, and often more, to plan for the growth of wildlife on Easy Street, to plan events, conference trips, newsletters, and to brainstorm over lunch with our idea books. It tells her, I think your ideas matter and that you have something worthwhile to contribute. Three years ago, Jamie was too shy to order for herself off a menu, but now she gives interviews to the press and goes out soliciting donations and reporters. She believes she has something valuable to say and says it right out loud. She believed the person that she thought was the smartest person she knew. When you plan something fun for the whole family, everyone should be heard and acknowledged. Often the planning is more fun than the actual doing. On this note, however, keep in mind that your influence with the girls is based upon trust, and if you ever lead them to believe you will do something and don't follow through, you lose that trust. Number six, set an example of excellence. Our vision statement includes the idea that we are going to lead by example. What you are shouts louder by what you do than what you say. I can't think of two people who are better role models than you two. My own character flaws that I have to watch for are that I'm often critical of people and I expect them to fail. I have to stay on constant guard against showing this negativity. If you are always trying to improve yourself as a person, your children will do the same. Too many people equate improving yourself with improving your net worth, and the two have little to do with each other. I think we spend far too much time in front of the TV and not enough time out doing good for others. When you think about the horrible influence of what we watch on TV, you might consider Alexander Pope's statement, vice is a monster of so frightful mean as to be hated means needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. Most TV programming is a subtle yet powerful weapon of Satan's. Be careful of what you say. Your children are listening. Number seven, teach your girls to visualize to reach their potential. Mama Jackie would tell me to close my eyes and see myself being successful at whatever it was I was contemplating. Everything we do, everything we do occurs twice, once in the mind and then in reality. I use this technique every day. Dad always used to tell me to think about what I was going to say before I said it. Even today, if I am speaking to a volunteer or a potential $10,000 donor, I see the conversation in my head and work out all of the kinks before I am actually in the presence of that person. I think about everything that could go wrong, but go a step further in my mind to come up with the appropriate solution. I don't stop visualizing until I see myself succeeding. Eight, adopt their friends. When family, friends, school, and church are all aligned, it makes a powerful training system. When there is a problem with a peer, adopt that peer. You guys seem to do real well at this too. My friends were my downfall, despite mom's ability to adopt all my friends. All the kids loved to hang out at our place because our mom was the coolest. Even in my marriages, she has adopted my husbands and made them to feel at home. I think that she was able to keep me out of much more trouble than most of my peers were in by keeping me and my friends close by. Number nine, teach them to serve. Our society, our society promotes the me first concept. 
to our ultimate disillusionment. It is only in service to God, to others, and to animals that we get a true sense of accomplishment and satisfaction in life. Many people don't have time for volunteer work until they retire. By then, much of their life is spent, and they haven't had the opportunity to experience how rewarding it is to give of their time and energy. Fact is, all of us are allotted the same amount of time, and it's just in how we manage it that will allow us a much more rich life, full, loving, and giving. The most money I ever made in a single deal was $135,000, but the elation was not near as memorable as breathing life into a dead cub. That was Sundari Leopard. I almost never think about that business deal, but I am reminded daily of the precious gift of that life is to us. Number 10, provide support. It is not enough to think about how much we support our children. They need to hear it often. By constantly affirming them, they will become strong support to others. Everything you give comes back tenfold. They learn through you that they can change the world. 11. Talk to them frankly about sex and drugs. It may be embarrassing for you now, but the problems that can occur from just relying on teaching them the phrase, just say no, are devastating. Where I went wrong. Our parents and grandparents did everything by the book. They did it better than anyone I've ever known. I was the perfect child and a virgin until I was 14. Cindy Clark, my friend from church, spent the night quite often. This day, we had met some neighborhood boys in their late teens or 20s who had invited us in to play cards and watch TV. I had never had any experience with people on drugs and just thought they were weird in that they were watching TV with the radio blaring at an equally deafening volume. I couldn't hear what they were talking to Cindy about. Later that night, she wanted to sneak out and go see them again. They had been so nice, so I agreed. She was on the phone with her boyfriend and told me to go ahead of her and she'd be along in a minute. They lived right across the street, so I slipped out the window and went. When I got there, I was raped at knife point by all three of them. One of them took pity on me and let me go. I've always been a free bleeder, and they had cut my throat. It probably looked like I wouldn't make it across the street. I didn't go to my parents. I never told them, because I felt like I had been ruined. Good virtues were so important in our house, and I had heard them comment about someone who had been raped in the news, saying that some women just were asking for it. I don't know what the circumstances were that would cause them to say that, but like everything they said, I believed that it was not only the truth, but universal. I had slipped out of the house and gone somewhere without telling my parents, so in my eyes I had asked for it and now I was unworthy of being part of this family. Further, I didn't believe that I could ever be a wife to a good man now. I believed that no honorable man would have me. The rest of my choices, all of them bad, were based on this conviction. I was nearly 30 before I overcame that stigma. We were always able to talk about things in our house, but I wouldn't even broach this subject because I didn't want to be a disappointment to the people that I loved. So how do you avoid that with your girls? Talk about sensitive things like this before they have the chance to happen. I am sure that mom never thought this could happen since she was doing such a good job of knowing who my friends were, but she didn't foresee something that could happen in a matter of moments. Many years later, I asked Cindy why she didn't come to their house that night, and she admitted 
that they had given her drugs in exchange for sending me over alone that night. She bought a fix with my virginity. How I went wrong with Jamie. I was always so caught up in my life in building the business and in taking care of my husbands and animals that I didn't take time to know Jamie. I didn't listen to her when she talked. I didn't make her feel important. I didn't build her self-esteem. I didn't cultivate her interests. I decided what her interests were going to be and then put her through dance, acting, and a zillion other classes to make her into what I thought she should be. I did it because I thought she was shy and introverted and needed coaching to be self-assured. I didn't know that her confidence depended on me. I did not create a happy family life, and we never planned anything together. I took her places and we did some things, but her input wasn't often asked for. I was the mom and thought I was doing what she needed. What she needed was to be made an important part of the family. I didn't set an example of excellence. I required perfection, but that is not the same. The image she got of what it must be like to be a mother is that you work from daylight to dark, you're always cranky, always in a hurry, and if anything gets in your way, you become a martyr. I set an example, all right. We all do, but mine was something she never wanted to become. I never talked to Jamie about visualization because I just assumed she knew how to succeed. It was genetic, right? No child of mine could have been born without all of the skills it takes to be successful. I did adopt Jamie's friends and for obvious reasons wanted to know everyone she knew, but it wasn't enough by itself. I did teach her to serve. I didn't give her support. I only ever attended one of her basketball games because after all, it was just a silly game and I was busy securing her future. That's what I thought. I did tell her about my experience with sex and drugs. My one time of smoking a joint that was laced with something. I thought it had been a hand-rolled cigarette. Of the 11 suggestions above, I only got three right. My guess is, in retrospect, that she would rather have had no inheritance and only had a mother who knew how to raise a child. So, why isn't Jamie pregnant or on drugs or an ex-convict? It's genetic. No, I'm kidding. I think it's because she did get a lot of positive training from her grandparents and her great-grandparents. It wasn't until I didn't have Dawn in my life that I really started thinking about Jamie and her needs. By this time, she was 16 and would have been a goner if it hadn't been for her extended family. I started spending time with her and found out that she is clever funny, and capable of much more than I ever knew. She is the first to admit that she has trouble with exercise and diet and anything else that requires discipline because as a child she had no rules and never learned how to live within someone else's framework. I know she could never work for anyone but herself because of her inability to take direction. Kids need rules and they need to know there are severe consequences when they don't obey them. It was because of the need to make Wildlife on Easy Street a functional working unit that I started reading everything I could get my hands on about management. A lot of these books made references to managing a family, and I would practice the principles that I read on Jamie. With respect, caring, and unconditional love, she blossomed. I was just lucky that it wasn't too late.
the outline for this letter came from principle-centered leadership, and there are a lot of good chapters to apply to raising children and cultivating a good marriage. I love you and yours, and I am sure you will do the right thing. Carol.